Philippians chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Um, I was having a hard time with this text because there's so many things I want to say, but I decided to make our main point, and hopefully you'll see it from the passage, hold fast to Jesus because Jesus is greater still. Hold fast to Jesus. Um, I've also, if you want to, listen to a, pa- uh, a sermon by Ligon Duncan. He preached it at First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, and I have used his outline as well. It's kind of the same, a little different. Um, not because of Ligon Duncan, but because I think he actually looks at this text and captures it very well. So we're going to use a similar outline to him. But I hope that you will hold fast to Jesus and who he is and what he has done because there is no one greater and there is no work greater than that of Jesus. I hope that you will hold fast to him. And at the end, I'll try to tease out what that means a little bit more. But before we look at Hebrews chapter 7, let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are in the heavens above, seated on your throne. You are a king. There, you are not someone to be trifled with. You tell the ocean its boundaries, that it can only go so far. And yet we have, in many ways, disobeyed you even when creation doesn't. Father, we recognize that we have offended you, a holy king, and you can do with us what you will. But we also recognize that you are the most merciful and gracious king because you have sent your only son, that those who are enemies, we sinners, can be reconciled to you at the cost of your son freely given to us. There is no one greater than Jesus. There is no work that can even come close to the work that he has done. Thank you so much for this gospel. I pray as we look upon your word and and hear it read and preached that we may just have a greater view of who Jesus is because he is the most important. Help us now. Help us in the Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. I want to remind you that this is the word of God. Hear now God's word. For this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of of the spoils. 
And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. So these are also descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jesus is greater still. So if you just read the text and you're totally lost, it's totally fine because it is a difficult text. Um, we're, we're not, we're not going to understand, um, I guess, the significance as much as we want of the text unless we understand the significance of the people mentioned. So before we start, I just want to tell you the, the argument that the um, author of Hebrews is making. He's basically saying this. It's an argument of comparison. So you can say something like, and you're holding a candle, and you can be like, my flame is the hottest flame in the world. And then someone comes and has a flamethrower and says, my flamethrower is hotter than your flame, no contest. And then someone can say, well, the sun is the brightest. You can't win. See, it's a, a, an argument of comparison. He's trying to capture something so great by using comparison. But then you go like this, and the game's over. You say, yeah, the sun is bright, but God created it by breathing. Game. That's what he's doing with Jesus. What's the point of Melchizedek here? Is to show you that Jesus is even greater. So he's saying, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, than Levi. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's amazing. And then he says, but Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. That's game. Jesus is greater still. So the outline we're going to look at is Melchizedek is greater. Jesus is greater still. Melchizedek is greater. Jesus is greater still. And because this might be a little bit difficult to understand, um, I'm going to try to give you some context. The author of Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians. So he's talking to Jewish people who became Christians. Now, I want you to mm, pretend with me that you are actually a Jewish Christian in the first century church. You just became a Christian. But for your entire life before you became a Christian, you were a Jew. And before, before you, your parents were Jews. For hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you guys have done the same worship, the same thing. You have esteemed God and worshiped him in the temple through Levitical priests. Your parents have done it. Your grandparents have done it. Your great-grandparents have done it. Everyone has done it. And you go to the temple to worship God. How do you worship God? You go to the temple, and there's a Levitical priest who helps you. He mediates your worship. Sacrifices are made. Levitical priest means priests who are born in the tribe of Levite. And where does the term Levite come from? Their great ancestor, Levi. So for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you have worshiped God, your family, everyone before you worshiped God in the temple through the mediation of a Levitical priest or a priest 
from the order of Levi. So Levi. So there is tremendous respect and honor for the Levitical priest and for Levi. This is, this is just familiar to you if you're a Jewish Christian. But before even Levi was born, there was Abraham. And Abraham is one of the most revered, esteemed patriarchs in your religion. Who is greater than Abraham? Maybe God, but who can be greater than the father of our faith? And then the author of Hebrews comes and says, Melchizedek is greater than Levi. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Do you understand how significant our passage is today if you are a Jewish Christian? Melchizedek is greater. But again, that's not the main point. The main point is Jesus is greater than Melchizedek, who's greater than your most esteemed forefathers. Jesus is greater than all the Levitical priests who have ever existed. Jesus is greater than their great forefather, Levi. Jesus is greater than one of the most revered and esteemed forefathers, Abraham. Now, why should, you, why should the Jewish Christians hold fast to Jesus? Because Jesus is great. There is no one better. If you want to bank on someone, you bank on Jesus. There's no one greater. Why should we hold fast to Jesus? Because there's no one greater. And we're, we're going to look at one office today specifically. We're going to talk about, I mean, Jesus King, Jesus Lord, Jesus Savior. Amen. But today we're going to look at Jesus is the high priest. Melchizedek is greater. Jesus is greater still. First, we're going to see Melchizedek is greater. We're going to do that through all the text. Look at verses 1 to the first half of verse 2 with me. The author of Hebrews says this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High, God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. How do we know that? The author of Hebrews tries to prove it by looking at their actions. He says, what did Melchizedek do? Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And you're going to find out in verse 7 or later on, that the superior blesses the inferior. So it says, look, Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. What did Abraham do? The second half of verse 2 shows that Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything to Melchizedek. So by their actions alone, we see that Melchizedek is greater than one of the Jews' most revered and esteemed patriarchs. And I want you to know this. It's not just oh, like a logical, we see it in records, but Abraham himself acknowledged it by giving him a tenth portion of everything he had. Even Abraham knew how awesome Melchizedek was. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. We can also see it not by their actions, but by the historical record. Look at the second half of verse 2 to verse 3 with me. It says, he, which is Melchizedek, is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. 
where is he getting this from? This record, this historical record, is actually in the book of Genesis. Melchizedek is in the book of Genesis. The historical records in Genesis state that Melchizedek is a king. But what kind of king is he? If you translate his name from Hebrew, he's the king of righteousness. Is that it? By his jurisdiction of Salem, if you translate Salem, which is shalom, peace, he's also the king of peace. He's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. But that's not all. Verse 3 also says that Melchizedek seems to be immortal because there's no record of his parents, genealogy, or beginning of days, nor end of life. By the historical record, Melchizedek seems to be an immortal king of righteousness and of peace. But that's not all. Um, typically what happens in Jewish laws and customs is you become a priest if you're from a descendant of Levi. You become a priest, or you can be. Um, that's how things are typically done. Melchizedek is not from the tribe of Levi, but it says that he's a priest. Somehow, this dude is a priest. So now we have Melchizedek seems like an immortal king of righteousness and peace and priest. He's an immortal king priest of righteousness and peace. That's Melchizedek. He is greater than Abraham. Abraham is the father of nations, if you translate his name. But he does not come close to Melchizedek. So we saw the actions prove Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. We saw the historical records. But just in case you don't see this point, look at what he says in verse 4. The author makes it clear. He says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. Melchizedek is a great man. Melchizedek is greater than patriarch Abraham. Melchizedek is a priest. Melchizedek is a king. He is great. That's verses 1 through 4. He's going to do a similar argument. He's going to do it with Abraham, but he's going to show Levi as well. So we're going to look at actions again. Look at verses 5 to 6. The author says, And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So we're going to look at the actions. What just happened? The descendants of Levi, the priest. If I was a priest and you were Jew Jews and you were worshiping in the temple, I would take tithes from you, 10%. Why? Because a commandment says so. Because it's the law of God. Descendants of Levi takes tithes from the descendants of Abraham. But what about Melchizedek? Melchizedek has no law. There is no law to pay this man at all. You are under obligation to pay to me. Abraham had no obligation to pay to Melchizedek. He did not pay out of obligation, but he paid out of his own free will. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And we're talking 
So the descendants of Abraham pay the descendants of Levi, but Abraham himself paid Melchizedek. And there's another action. Melchizedek, again, we're going to see it here, blessed Abraham. And then if we look at verse 7, it says, It is indisputable that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In other words, it is indisputable that Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priest, greater than Abraham. You can see it by their actions. I'm pretty sure you might be getting tired of this point. Melchizedek is greater. I get it. I get it. We're going to see it in the historical record again. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. So both Melchizedek and the Levitical priest received tithes. But the Levitical priests were mortal men, while the testimony of Melchizedek is that he lives. There is no mention of his death. He seems immortal. Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priest. Again, I, w- I just kind of want to remind you of the significance of what's happening. Remember, you're a Jewish Christian, and the author of Hebrews is talking to you. Imagine centuries of what you've been doing. Centuries of worshiping through Levitical priests. Centuries of revering Levi and Abraham. And the author says something like, Melchizedek is greater than all of them. So how much greater is Melchizedek than the Levitical priest? Melchizedek is so great, in fact, that he's greater than the Levitical priest's forefather, Levi. And that's in verses 9 to 10. We kind of blaze through this, huh? Look at verses 9 through 10 with me. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. Why? For he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So Levi wasn't born yet. Where's Levi? He's inside Abraham. He's not born yet. And if Abraham paid Melchizedek, arguably, Levi paid Melchizedek. Melchizedek is greater still, or greater than Abraham, Levi, and the Levitical priest. He is greater than the Levitical priest. He is greater than Levi. He is greater than Abraham. Melchizedek is the greater man. Melchizedek is the greater priest. Melchizedek is the greater king. He's an awesome person. Melchizedek is great. So what? What's the point? Remember the argument of comparisons. The main point is not to prove that Melchizedek is great, but the main point is to demonstrate the greatness of Jesus. How so? Because Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. It's like the same thing as saying, the hottest thing in the world is the sun. Well, I mean, there's probably other stars. There are other stars. Hottest thing in the world is the sun. I mean, or outside the world is the sun. And then you're like, well, my God, he just kind of breathed that. It's no contest. Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. You think Levi is great? You think Abraham is great? You even think Melchizedek is great? Jesus is greater than all of them. He is greater than all of them. How do we know this? We're going to see this as we go on through our text next week and, and so forth, but just look at verse 3 with me one more time. Verse 3. It says, He, Melchizedek, is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, 
but resembling the Son of God. He continues to preach forever. Melchizedek is great, but Melchizedek only resembles the Son of God. He is not the Son of God. Jesus is. Jesus is the greatest man. Jesus is the greatest priest. It's no contest. Don't hope in Levi. Don't hope in your priest. Uh, modern day terms would be don't hope in your pastors. Don't hope in Abraham. Don't even hope in Melchizedek. Hope in Jesus because it's no contest. He is the son of God. So I want to spend our remaining time here. What's the point? Why is it so important that Jesus, the son of God, is our Melchizedekian high priest? And how does that encourage us to hold fast to him and nothing else? Um, I'm going to try to give you a definition of priest. Um, a priest is someone who goes before you to God on your behalf. A priest is someone who goes before you to God on your behalf. You need someone you can bank on. And Abraham would do you no good. So why is it so important that Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest, and how does it encourage us to hold fast to him? I'm going to give you the short answer. Because who else would you want to go before God on your behalf for you? Well, that's redundant, on your behalf. What other hope can come even close to comparing to him? No one is better. Nothing is better. So hold fast to him. That's the short answer. Here's the long answer. Um, we're all, arguably, we're all holding on to some type of hope. Okay? We're all hoping for something. And let me just spell out some of them. Some of you are hoping that God doesn't exist. Some of you are hoping that if God exists, he doesn't care about small creatures such as ourselves. He doesn't care about this world. He's distant. Some of you are hoping that you can fake believe the gospel and God will not know. Some of you are hoping that you outsmarted God. Some of you are hoping that God is only a savior and not a Lord. None of these hopes are worth hoping in. It's not going to do you any good. Some of you are hoping that at the end of your life, when you pass away, when you stand before God, your righteous deeds will outweigh your bad ones. You're hoping that he will not care about the bad ones because you've done enough good. You think you're hoping that your bad ones are erased. Some of you are still hoping that if you do good enough, you will be saved, not realizing your bad's still there. Some of you are hoping that your parents' faith will save you. Some of you are hoping that your pastors, the church saints, the early church fathers, Abraham, Levi, the Levitical priest, Mary, the mother, which what Catholics do, right, can vouch for you. They can't do anything for you. These hopes can't save you. They're all human, right? I can't save you, unfortunately. Actually, fortunately, I can't save you. 
So why is it so important that Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest, and how does that encourage us to hold fast to him? Every single day from the moment we were born, we have rebelled against a holy God. We have sinned against him and our neighbor. Here are some examples. We think too highly of ourselves. We think too lowly of God. We have not loved God with all of our hearts, souls, minds, strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Sometimes we try to deflect our guilt. Maybe we just confess it to one another, but we don't confess it to God. We try to distract ourselves from what is good and noble. We don't like to be wrong when we are. All of us hated God at one point. Some of us still hate God. Worse than that, some of us simply don't care about God. Our sins are like scarlet and red like crimson. So why is it so important that Jesus, the Son of God, is our high priest, and how does that encourage us to hold fast to him? Because Jesus is the only one ever in the history of mankind and that ever will be who has loved God perfectly and loved his neighbor as himself. Jesus is the only one who has never sinned, although he has been tempted. We sin all the time when we're tempted and we're like, our temptations are hard, but he endured it all. Jesus is the only high priest ever in the history of mankind. There's centuries of Levitical priests, right? But he's the only one to never have offered any sacrifice for his own sins because he never sinned. Jesus is the only one who is perfectly righteous, and he is the only one who can rightfully stand before God on our behalf. Think about it this way. For centuries, if you're a Jewish Christian, right, for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, all the way back to Moses and maybe even with Abraham, you had a high priest, right? You had a priest to mediate your worship with God. But they all died. And they all had to sacrifice for their own sins. And that's centuries. We're talking about over thousands of years. Do you, know, you want to know how great Jesus is? Jesus, one time, made one sacrifice, and he did what centuries and centuries of Levite, Levitical priests, and slaughtered animals could not do. He did it himself. This is Jesus. If you want to bank on someone, you bank on him. Hold fast to Jesus. And Jesus is the only high priest who, who came for us and actually finished the work that needed to be done. And the guarantee of God's word, the guarantee of God himself, is that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. None whatsoever. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. No condemnation in him. Because of Jesus, there's no more need for any priest. Why do, why do we think there's no more Levitical priests anymore? Why is it there are no more animal sacrifices? Because Jesus did it. He actually did it. Who else 
would you want to go before you to God on your behalf? What other hope can come close to comparing to him? What other need is there for anyone or anything else? No one and nothing is better. Um, this is from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Pastor John preached on this last week, but let me just read it for us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hold fast to him. Hold fast to him. Okay, with this few time, I'm just going to give you some applications. What does holding fast to Jesus look like? If you hold fast to Jesus, it looks like leaving your old performance-oriented life. Let me say this way. If you are still trying to perform before God to earn your righteousness before him and merit your goodness before him, you're not holding fast to Jesus because his work doesn't mean anything, right? You're trying to earn your own righteousness, not holding fast to his righteousness. It looks like leaving your performance life behind and walking a Jesus and grace-filled life. What else does it look like? It looks like repenting of your sins and believing the gospel for grace. It looks like when you sinned, you go to God and you confess it because you know that he's willing to give you Jesus. He's willing to give you grace. You confess your sins to God because he's the only one who can ultimately forgive you of them. That's what holding fast to Jesus looks like. Let me give you an example. You pray, you sin, and you go to God and you're praying and like, and you don't want to pray, but you say, God, I'm so sorry. I, like, and I know you could judge me. I have nothing, but I'm pleading with you for the sake of Jesus, for what he has done. I believe that he has done it. I believe in him. Would you remember him as you look on me? And what do you do? You believe the gospel and you receive the forgiveness and grace that he's given you in Jesus Christ. That's what holding fast looks like. What's another one of holding fast? Extending the forgiveness you have received from God and restraining the condemnation you have escaped from God. So holding fast to Jesus looks like this. I'll give you an example. Sarah, I'm sorry, but let's say Sarah and I fought. And let's say it was her fault, just for argument's sake. I could react two ways. I mean, there's more than two ways, but just for example, I can react two ways. I can say, how could you, how could you do that? I mean, this is common sense. That's condemnation. I didn't receive that from God. Why would I give that to my fiance? What, what would I give her? She's, she, she messed up. She's sorry. I'm like, maybe it's hard and you, and you forgive, right? You say, God has forgiven me. I forgive you. Like, how do we do that practically? If it's really hard for you, go walk away. Go pray. Go calm down. I, I tell that to Sarah all the time. Like, just give me a moment. I need, I need to calm down. Because I don't want to sin. That's what holding fast to Jesus looks like. It's like Jesus has done this for me, and I believe it. I believe it. And I will give it to you, holding fast to Jesus. You can hold fast to him every moment of your life. Holding fast to your high priest, because there is no one and nothing better 
than Jesus. Melchizedek is great, but Jesus is greater still. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much um, for giving your son. Um, Why would you do such a thing for us? I mean, how long have you been patient with us? And yet you still are. Yet you keep lavishing your love upon us. And you extend this gospel that costed your son. Um, Father, we, we realize that we have fallen so short and sometimes we try not to think about it and we sin against you. And we, even after believing the gospel, we still do it. We still do it. But yet you knew all of this. You knew me. You knew us before we were born. And you still decided to give Jesus to us. Everyone else would have left us. If they have saw the filth in our hearts and our minds, they would have grown impatient with us. They would have abandoned us because it was convenient for them and easy. And I don't even blame them for doing so. But you have never done such a thing. In fact, you have done the opposite. You have extended help and grace when we have not deserved it. Thank you so much for the greatest high priest that has ever existed and that ever will exist. Thank you for the high priest who continues to live today, for he is resurrected and ascended and sits at your right hand, and he continues to intercede for us. Thank you so much for this gospel. Help us to hold fast to him, for there is no greater hope. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.